0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the podcast. You are listening to Welcome to the Other Side. This is your host, Meg Gluckman. And as always, we're talking about what it's like to get through your divorce and find yourself on this new land, in this new place, and what tools and resources and skills can we gather and implement in order to really create a thriving life for ourselves over there. And I have a special guest with me today. I've got Megan Callis. Hi, Megan, welcome.
1: Hello, hello, one Meg to another.
0: (laughs) We got Meg squared here. This is awesome. Um, And I've invited Megan on for two reasons. One, because she is a divorced mom. She's got two kiddos of her own. And she's going to share some of her story with all of us. And because she is a breathwork practitioner, and I know you all have listened to many of my episodes, and I focus so much on thought work and what our mindset is, what we're thinking, and how our thoughts are connected to our emotions. And the work that we can do to become more aware, more cognizant of just our thought patterns and maybe old beliefs that aren't serving us anymore and so forth, and how they're connected to how we feel on a day-to-day basis. And we still live in this human body that gets triggered by things, be they our exes or our kids or money or work and we need tools to be able to help regulate that beautiful central nervous system that we have and i'm just like so totally convinced that our goal should not be to just be happier more often like to me that's that's the disney idea that's the fairy tale that's that's kind of a patriarchal like this is what you should aim for my goal is really to get to a place where I feel like I can experience all the range of human emotions. And I know how to regulate my nervous system to care for myself when I'm, when I'm triggered. And so I think Megan's going to be able to share some really cool stuff with us. And um, I'm just excited for you all to learn from her. Yay. So Megan, will you start us and Tell us a little bit about your divorce story, your motherhood story, and what brings you to where you are today. Sure. First of all, I could not agree more with
1: everything you just said in terms of how important it is to shift the way we talk to ourselves and the words we use and that our thoughts so deeply impact our emotional state. And so how important it is to really become cognizant of that, uh, as well as to to have tools to help us be resilient in our human bodies, because I agree, you know, we are not designed to be happy all the time. We're designed in here to experience a mix of emotions. The key is not getting stuck in them and allowing them to flow and allowing ourselves to be resilient no matter what life throws at us. Um, so my story, my divorce story, if you will, uh, is that I got divorced in 2014, uh, seems in some respects, like a lifetime ago, in some respects, just like yesterday, uh, at the time I, I, my two daughters, um, one had just turned four, the other was about to turn seven. So she was six and We had lived up in Connecticut um, and I wanted to move back to um, an area that brought me some joy and where I could get some work, which is in New Jersey um, by the beach and uh, had quite the journey. And I will say this, I so wish that a resource like this podcast existed Mm. when I was going through my divorce because I couldn't get over how lonely I felt. Mm. Uh, and, and how I felt I was the only one experiencing the despair and the anxiety and the fear, um, that I was experiencing. So my divorce was a bit traumatic, despite the fact that I was the one that asked for it, um, because my ex-husband, um, was the breadwinner of the family. Um, and because there was a little bit of maneuvering that he did, that was not necessarily the, um, kindest, um, we were really left in, in a financial pickle. And so, um, we had a combination of a divorce combination of financial desperation, if you will, um, a move And at that time, I moved my children into a school system that was not ideal, particularly for my oldest daughter. So the transition for her was particularly hard. And this is an incredibly heartfelt, sensitive soul. Um, And so you put all those things together with me um, going back to work full time in a career that I really didn't love anymore. And I was a stay at home mom and now I'm working full time and working far. And so a massive commute on top of long hours and not seeing my children and a child who was struggling. Um, and I went deep, dark into a hole. Um, that first year after my divorce, I will say was the hardest year of my entire life. I, um, As my therapist at the time had said, I started to see the world through shit-colored glasses. Forgive the expression if you have to bleep that out. I love it. No, it's great. (laughs) Thank you. But it was incredibly accurate. Um, I I could not problem solve. I could not see anything but the darkness and the cloud I was in. And consequently, I wasn't really in a position to help my daughters who really needed me. And I needed them just as much as they needed me. And so, uh, during that period of time, um I was in therapy. I was prescribed medication. I was diagnosed as a d- depressed, anxious, you name it. Um, and I found that the medications and the therapy were not really working for me. Uh, and by almost the year mark of my divorce, I became incredibly suicidal, mm. uh, and I can get teary thinking about this um, and so I had a bit of a breakdown, which is amazing how sometimes our darkest times can be our life savers, mm. and that's exactly what this was. Um I ended up after this breakdown um getting new therapists and getting off of a lot of the medication, keeping one, getting off of a lot of the others and learning how to breathe. So I was, I decided at that point in time I needed to switch jobs that working a job that required an hour and a half commute each way that um, required me to sit at a desk and be away from my children for so many hours was not sustainable for me mentally, emotionally. wasn't serving any of us. And despite that, it was bringing a paycheck in. It wasn't bringing a huge paycheck in. And so I um, I decided to 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 move to a different field. And at that time, it's actually not the same field I'm in at the moment, but it's related. I started to um, Teach, uh, get certified in, and teach fitness for those who were 40 and older. I loved working with women and I loved working with women who uh, were struggling. You know, in this case, they were struggling with their physical bodies and they weren't looking necessarily to get into bikinis. They were looking to get strong. Yeah. They were looking to become vital and vibrant again. And so that became my work, and I got to choose my own hours. I got to go back and be with my children when they had events at school. I was able to drop them off and pick them up. Um, and it, that was life changing for me. And as I said, I learned how to breathe. So despite the fact that my my orientation was fitness, I was very much into corrective exercise and Um, There is a corrective exercise specialist out there, his name is Evan Osar, who teaches something called three-dimensional breath. And so it's a breathing practice where you don't just breathe down into your belly, but you breathe into your belly, your sides, and your back. And that simple little exercise that I started to practice centered me in a way that surprised me. What I found is that although our thoughts so deeply impact our emotions, sometimes we can be so caught up in our places of despair and in our circular thinking that we can't just think our way out. And so for me, I found I could breathe my way out. That brought me back into presence that brought me back into, into a space that wasn't quite as dark. Um, and, you know, it's been a, a, quite a bit of a journey since then, but I have made that now my practice. So not only my, my practice as a person, my, my, my personal self-care, um, practice, but what I teach others to do.
0: Wow. Oh my gosh, so much. Thank you for sharing all of that. Wow, wow. Um, It's interesting uh, to be talking to so many moms post-divorce and how common this like reinvention theme is And, and really this period of like figuring out what our priorities really are. Right Like that, yes, and and
1: you know, I think each one of us has our own, and for me, my priority, I recognized, and I do, you know, I'm almost reluctant to say this because I think that there's so much pressure to always put our kids first. During that period of time, because I was a stay- at-home mom prior to the divorce, being with my children was, my happy space and that doesn't necessarily mean i loved it when they were tantruming and yelling and arguing and and all of the insanity that comes knowing and love that but i needed to be with them i needed to be more present to them and that needed that was my priority and so so recognizing that allowed me to figure out sort of the other pieces of the puzzle
0: yes right It's interesting that that was a really similar theme for me. I remember thinking, okay, I have a very particular parenting plan that is a little funky. I, you know, not many people have the, the format that I have. And, but the key is for me was, okay, how can I be with my kids when I actually have my kids? Right. And like, so that was my prior, that was like that grounding stone in the middle, Right. And then this tangent of like, okay, so then how, how do I support myself so that when I am with them, I'm the kind of person I want to be when Absolutely. I'm with them, right? And so the twofold of like creating the schedule, like you saying, like I control my own hours, right? Like creating the schedule that's going to work for you.
1: Mm-hmm
0: financially but then also like prioritizing what your priority like prioritizing your priority that's a little redundant but you know what I mean like focusing on what that priority is for you being with your kids and then how do I show up in the way that I want to show up which means caring for myself taking care of what's going on for me yeah and I hear in your story like all the different things you tried to figure it out right like it wasn't the first thing it wasn't like oh this one therapist or this one prescription is gonna like fix everything and then I'll be you know I'll be fine it's like no I had to try so many different things right without a doubt I
1: mean this was uh, it's someone once commented to me commented to me during that time you keep trying you know, like, and, and I actually felt that was a huge compliment because it's true. Despite the fact that I was in this, in this dark space, I kept trying, I kept grasping. I was just like, something has got to get me out of this. right? And it wasn't the first thing or the second thing or the third thing, you know, <laughs> but, but I finally found what yeah. did serve. And, and I think it's iterative. I think, you know, it's a process where it's going to shift and change as you shift and change. But I think that if you can find things that do ground you and or bring you joy mm-hmm. um, that that they are your lifeline
0: mm. yeah what was bringing you joy during that time it, what's
1: amazing about that question is if you had asked me that during that time and even a couple years post the immediate divorce, I could not answer that question I had no idea what brought me joy i mean my children yes but what about me like what 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 brought me you know um and so i found for me so my my previous work i was in um, the environment in the environmental field and so anytime i could get myself outside anytime i could be in nature a natural environment it it would ground me now what was fascinating is during that year of great um, my great depression um, it did not, there was nothing, there was, there was no joy, all the things that could potentially have, have brought me joy. We, were so filtered by this lens that, that I couldn't experience it. Um, so it did take me a while to really figure it out, but being, you know, being in a natural environment, gardening, smelling and eating fresh tomatoes, um, sunlight for me, this breath work that would calm and center me. Um, and then I, I learned over time too, I began to run. And so running trails, not that the running the trails themselves at that time was necessarily joyful as I'm hopping and puffing, but the, the experience of being once again out in nature and then what I was doing for myself.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I I appreciate you pointing out that during the Great Depression, that you could not, like, none of that brought you joy. I think that that, in a, in my past life, I worked as a um, postpartum support group facilitator. Mm. And so working with a lot of moms right after giving birth and having postpartum depression and postpartum anxiety, and it's like such a good um, flag or indicator, right? If the things that normally would bring you joy do not bring you joy and you, and you can't find it, anywhere then you know something is really off really wrong. <laughs> versus yes. just having you know a bad day or having a bad week right where those things still help lift you somewhat right? yes but-
1: uh, i was taught by my therapist um, two things that i thought were invaluable One is that if I go, and this, this is relevant to today too, because depression continues to be something that, that is, is, is part in essence of my DNA. Um, and so that I have to be vigilant about, um, but, uh, it was okay. If you cannot pick yourself up within two weeks, if you are in that space of darkness and tears and so forth, then within that two week period of time, you pick up that phone and you get some help. Um, and I thought that was invaluable and I use that to this day. I sort of mark it, okay, where mm-hmm. am I? And and am I weekend? Okay, I'm a weekend. All right, I'm all right, let's see where I go. Okay, if two weeks hit, okay, now it's time I call my friends, I call my therapist, it's time to get some mm-hmm. some assistance. And then the other thing um, that she said that was incredibly invaluable, and this particularly pertains to the fact that I did have these suicidal tendencies and inclinations, is give it three days. It was one of the most invaluable pieces of advice I've ever gotten in my life, which is we can get, and I know to this day, I I can get triggered and go down and down fast and deep and dark. But if I can hang in there for three days and usually it's never three days, usually it's more like 24 hours.
0: Mm-hmm. If
1: that, if I can just hang in there at the tides turn, the sun rises. And so I I just have found that to be key, a key a phrase of wisdom. Give it three days.
0: That's beautiful. I can, I, It resonates for me, even never having had suicidal tendencies myself, but just knowing when you are in the pit of despair around anything, you know, and divorce is definitely one of those triggers, right? That you give it three days and things can really shift. Things change in a surprising way. Yes. Feel like like eternity. It will never change
1: and those who have of us who have experienced trauma in our lives and who can be triggered that trigger can put us into such a sympathetic state in our nervous system that once again as i said you know you can't think yourself out of that and you feel like you're on fire you feel like it is you want in in my particular instance i wanted to die because it was so unbearable Uh, And so I don't want to dismiss or diminish those places because they are really challenging to be in. Um, And that's where it's so helpful to have tools to help you when you are triggered Mm -hmm. in that moment. And a couple of them, because one doesn't necessarily work. Mm -hmm. um, And you get to a place, I know I did, where it was was a point of desperation because it just, it was too, it was too heavy.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you for that. What can you talk to us a little bit about breath work and how it came in for you then? And how, how did you originally start using it? So, as I had mentioned, when I was um, going to,
1: when I went into physical fitness, and corrective exercise, I had learned this one technique, which was called three-dimensional breathing. And for me, because I couldn't sleep at night, I think that's probably a common Mm -hmm. element for for us going through divorce. Uh, If I could just focus on the physical component of this breath, it would allow the loops in my mind to quiet enough that I could actually start to sleep. Um, now that's what we refer to as sort of the biomechanics of your breath. So where are you breathing in your body? Are you breathing in your chest? Are you breathing through your nose versus your mouth? You know, things like that. Um, but there are other techniques that I use to this day on a regular basis, particularly when I'm triggered. One thing to know about your breath is that your breath has tremendous implications on the functioning of your nervous system. So when, I'm, when I say that I'm a breath work practitioner, my background actually is in applied neurology. I studied applied neurology for about three years and then brought breath work and respiration training into that mix. So breathing is exceptionally powerful. So if you get into those states of hyper arousal and so forth, using your breath can help in some circumstances, not all to bring yourself out of it. So one thing to know is that a lot of us, we're all taught to take a deep breath. That's a little bit of a misnomer. When you are feeling stressed out, the biggest thing you can do is extend your exhale. So when we extend our exhale, that actually helps us move our nervous system into that fight, flight, or freeze space into that rest, relax, digest space. So anytime you're feeling triggered one thing I do is not only you know breathing in through the nose and then a long exhale, but a long exhale either through pursed lips as if you're breathing through a straw, or a hum. Mm. So if you hum, if you inhale and then hum for your exhale, a, you're getting two tools. You're getting your breath, which obviously extending that exhale helps shift you over. You're also targeting your vagus nerve by creating vibration within your vocal cords. And so you're getting a double hit to increase that parasympathetic response. So that if you do that five to 10 times, it really, you will actually in your body can feel a shift take place. The other breath that is really super helpful because it's one that is useful again on the spot in the moment when you are triggered or something called the physiological sigh. So Andrew Huberman from Huberman Labs out in Stanford has done a lot of work on this and speaks to this breath. The physiological sigh works within two to three breath cycles to actually lower your heart rate. It works that fast. so the physiological sigh is basically you take a deep breath in through your nose, you get to the top of that inhale and you take another quick inhale and then a long exhale through the mouth. And then you repeat it. Again, it's that deep inhale through the nose. Get to the top of that inhale and another quick inhale. Long exhale. And if you had a little reading device on your finger, what we call pulse oxes, they do this at the doctor who measures oxygen um but it also measures pulse you'll actually see your pulse rate drop and so once again it's a really helpful tool to have in your toolbox for those moments where where you're really on edge but there are times you need to do more than that i mean there are times when um, one of the things I have recommended to clients if they really start getting themselves into a dissociated state and granted, I am not a therapist, a psychologist, a doctor, etc. I'm going to use all those terms. So recognize that you should you know, seek medical counseling where necessary. Um, but one thing that that I have found helpful when you when you really are in that state where 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 the heaviness and the darkness and bleakness is so intense is something that's not particularly fun and it's not particularly gentle, but it can snap you out. And that's um, a cold water face plunge. Fill your sink with ice water, plunge your face in it. Again, not particularly fun, but it knocks you out. It's there, we can again get looped and it breaks that loop and breaks you out. Um, And so there are things like that you can do to sort of shift your nervous system and break you out when you're really in those those dark spaces
0: mm-hmm why why does breath work do this like why and maybe that's too deep a a scientific question but like why does it matter if we start like three-dimensional breathing or
1: I actually it's a great question and I you can answer it scientifically and spiritually I'm going to focus on the science although I sort of delve a little bit into both realms
0: go woo! So from... I love I love <laughs> yeah, the exactly.
1: I've moved more and more into woo, um, these days, but the science is that basically our brain is built to survive. Number one priority is to survive this moment. And so if you start breathing fast and in, in your chest, um, versus those, you know, deeper, slower breaths, your brain thinks tiger's coming at you. Your brain thinks you are under immediate threat. And so it responds accordingly. So it's going to increase your heart rate. It's going to increase your blood pressure. It's going to, it's going to shuttle blood to your big muscles because it's getting you ready to run or fight. Whereas when we consciously slow our breath, consciously activate our diaphragm by breathing lower when we breathe through our nose, when we increase that exhale, our brain now thinks, oh, we're safe, we're resting. We're in our cave with our fire, with our friends and our family, all is well. And so now I can digest my food. Now I can sleep. Now I can be in a place of calm. And so it's really based on the one, number one focus of our brain, which is survival. Um, and it's, it's really quite extraordinary that, that we have volitional control of our breath. So we don't have to be at its mercy. Mm
0: -hmm. We
1: can actually be in control of it and have it. And, and sort of, I don't always love the term, but hack our breath Mm -hmm. so that we can get the response we need. And so there are times you want to use your breath to really calm yourself. There are times during the afternoon, I don't want to get calmer. I need some energy. And so, you know, you can use your breath to do that, to increase your your energy. In addition, if we're going to go in a little bit into the spiritual side of things, our breath indicates life and our breath indicates death. Mm -hmm. Our breath is our connection to source. When we breathe consciously, we quiet. We are system quiet. And for me, when you can get into that state of quiet, then all of a sudden you can connect to source. And when you connect to source, that's when all of a sudden the answers come. Yeah. And so it is that breath to me is is your light. And so you have this light within you. Um, Each person has this beautiful light within them. And so we can either allow that light to grow and we can use our breath to do that. Or we can continue to diminish and let that light dim. And I think going through divorce, that light gets really, really dim, but it never goes away. It's still there. And so you can ha- you can use for me, it's the breath to start getting that light to grow again okay. and fill you and expand beyond you.
0: And that's yeah. that light is love. Yeah. Oh tingles i got tingles you guys <laughs> this is so good this is so juicy the example that's coming to mind for me um was a few months ago it it hasn't happened to me in a long time i'm i'll talk about this at the end of our episode but i'm putting on a, a workshop on fearless co-parenting um and the idea of really being able to co-parent with someone else um and not feel triggered all the time not feel in a state of stress or panic
1: um, a challenge
0: <laughs> it's a good challenge um and but I remember a time some months ago where I did get triggered and I used some different exercises to just help my body in that moment I did like the, um, the yoga pose of like doing your legs up the wall. Yes. Love it. You know, I do, um, and just really being gentle with myself, you know, warm blankets, like just, just really kind of, um, trying to tell my body that we were safe in that moment and the calming, I definitely remember, you know, just calming slow breaths And recognize that that was when the answers came to me about what to do about the situation, right? Versus trying to figure out the answers of how to handle something when I've been triggered, like when I'm, in this when you're response. deep in it
1: in that space that's right is absolutely and, and your mind.
0: brain is just like not functioning and generally at least for me that first idea that comes to me in that space is not a good idea not like, a good one do not do that one <laughs>
1: <laughs> maybe the first
0: five are not good ideas like <laughs> let's not do any of those right but when i can re-regulate my system downshift I I often think of I don't drive manual stick I've only a handful of times in my life but I think so much about downshifting right and just be like okay back into this safe grounded calm state then the wisdom comes through right then and and the resourcefulness comes through I think that is it for me too right in in that triggered space it just seems like you're trapped. There's not very many options. Everything's a you know, either a black pit or a you know, going off a cliff. I don't know. It all looks so bad. And in that calmer space, it's like, okay, there's so many different options. There's so many resources. I, and,
1: and I think it's such wise advice and and, and words to to think about. From a sci- pure science space. When we are in that sympathetic space, when we are triggered and right in it, our our brain, we're not getting it. Our the oxygen is not going to our brain; it's going everywhere else because that's where it needs mm-hmm. to go for us again to mm-hmm. run and fight.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So we are not actually even getting the 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 circuitry we need to problem solve. We're not getting the frontal lobe activation and so forth the way we want to. But beyond that, it is in that quiet. If we can access that quiet, and yes, I use breath. There are so many different tools out there. So whatever serves um, you is what you should do. But if you can find a way to quiet, that's exactly right. That's when all of a sudden you can problem solve. All of a sudden, somehow we can move into a place where there are answers and it's not always right away, Uh but they do. We have
0: greater access. Uh Yeah. Yeah. Um, I have another nerdy question to ask. Great. I love nerdy questions. And you can choose not to. Um, I feel like the vagus nerve is like still in its like hip hip. I don't know coolness. Yes. Like everybody's talking Vegas. Everybody's talking Vegas nerve. <laughs> it's like better, you know, been just like the last few years where I think people have really been like, this is so important. And can you tell us a little bit about like what the Vegas nerve is and, and why it's so important?
1: Absolutely. Um, Vegas nerve is, is,
0: Gets a lot
1: of media attention, which is great in some respects, but I think it's also there's some interesting theories out there that haven't necessarily um, uh, the follow the evidence in the science doesn't quite back it. So we have something called cranial nerves. The cranial nerves are basically within our brainstem predominantly. Um, and so your brain you've got your brain and then you've got your brainstem. You have 12 cranial nerves on each side. So 12 on the left side, 12 on the right side. Vagus nerve is your 10th cranial nerve. It lives in the area of the brain called the medulla. Now, why is this nerve so important? This actually happens to be the longest nerve in the human body. It's called the wanderer because it's it's so long. And what this nerve does is this nerve goes to all your viscera. So when I say viscera, that's your heart, that's your spleen, that's your intestines, your lungs, all these organs, and it has receptors. So it takes information about what's going on in these organs and brings that information up to your brain. And then your brain basically decides what to do with that information. Now, I want you to think of the vagus nerve as almost your parasympathetic superhighway. What I mean by that is we have our nervous system broken into sympathetics. So that That's sort of your fight, flight, freeze, and alert state. And then you've got your parasympathetics that rest and digest, relaxes. And so this is the vagus nerve really has a lot to do with creating parasympathetic responses. So that means it will then come back down and talk in essence, talk to your heart. Say, okay, you can slow down. Mm. Okay, um, the the area around your your blood vessels. Okay, we can open up. We can allow more blood to flow through um and so it has so when we target the vagus nerve what can happen is that vagus nerve what we call is vagal tone the capacity of that vagus nerve to function and send signals up and down can weaken and when it weakens it can create more of a sympathetic state part of that is because a that has such a parasympathetic component in terms of how it uh, what 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 it innervates Also, where it lives in your brainstem, that area, that medulla, actually decreases sympathetic activity. So there are areas in your brain that either increases sympathetic activity or decreases sympathetic activity. So you target stuff in your medulla, that vagus nerve is one way of targeting it. There are other ways as well. You can actually decrease that that sympathetic fight, flight, or freeze response. Um, There are many ways to activate it. Uh anytime you activate your diaphragm with those deep breaths in down low, that's going to target your vagus nerve. What we did before, which was humming, targets your vagus nerve. Swallowing, gargling are all easy free ways to get vagal vagus nerve activation. Um, and there are other many, many devices out there. Some really steeped in science, some a little less so. Uh, it all depends. But yes, there's there's a this nerve. Thankfully he's getting a lot of scientific study. We need more. We're just in the beginning stages of really knowing what it does and how it works.
0: What would be the sign or a symptom of someone who doesn't have a toned vagus Vagus nerve? nerve. Or or is that just like an epidemic that that's just how we live these days?
1: So I think that if you are are living in a state of chronic um, stress, there's, there's a likelihood that there's a little less vagus nerve activity. Um, granted, you know, if you want to go deep into the science, I'm sure that there can be be fMRI work to, to, to look at this. Um, but for me, I would say most of us are living in pretty stressful states, and therefore that vagus nerve isn't getting as, as much activity um, that it needs. And so we want to increase, um, it's, it's action. Mm -hmm. And there's, so long as you're working that vagus nerve within controlled parameters, um, you're going to have a positive response. Now keep in mind that vagus nerve, because it has, you know, fibers going everywhere also impacts your immune system and it impacts your heart rate. So, my my concern here with all this vagus nerve media is that people without really understanding the science of it can activate it in ways that aren't necessarily going to be be serving so you want to work with those who who Uh really know the science
0: Uh but it sounds like the exercises that you're giving us here today like the blowing out with pursed lips is in yes. the realm of uh a everything good that i recommend <laughs> so the
1: the the beauty with with these things like the gargling and the humming and so forth is is they're so gentle you're not you're not putting an electrode and this is one thing that people do putting an electrode in to actually harness it um mm-hmm. you're not doing things that are really strongly influencing think of this as a gentle nudge
0: Mm-hmm. yeah I love that. I love that. Let me can I ask you for one more example or may or maybe one of the ones that you've shared already, but I'm let's let's go to the case of the mom who's I'm just gonna be totally selfish here. Let's go to the case of the mom who has two bickering kids at home. Oh boy. And she's and she's trying to she wants to show up in her best version calm, collected, be the captain of the ship, you know, keep things steady. And she needs, she needs a tool to just kind of help her kind of settle in that moment a little bit. What would you recommend?
1: So I think anytime that you can take a step back, um, I recommend now for me, obviously I'm going to use my breath. There are other tools. If you happen to have an essential oil that you like, um, if you can go into your body space and use a somatic practice where you are listening and figuring out where is it tight, where does it feel heavy, where does it feel, where am I body? Am I feeling this?
0: Mm.
1: So a practice that I use with clients that is a little less very specific, breath-oriented, is to close your eyes and really go into your body. Where is this chaos? Heaviness, whatever it is, where am I feeling this in my body? Is it in my throat? Is it in my heart? Is it in my belly? Is it in my head? Where is it? Identify its place and then go into the somatic practice. And yes, I know things are chaos is moving around just so you want to do this fairly quickly. But what color is it? What texture Mm -hmm. is it? Mm -hmm. And then once you've sort of identified it, what I tell people or invite people to do is take a breath, breathe into it, and extract it.
0: Mm.
1: So you take whatever that somatic experience of heaviness, sharpness, blackness, bleakness, whatever it is, take a breath into it, and then actually take it out and put it into a container. Close up that container, put it on the shelf. You can get back to it later. Take another breath. In through that nose, long, deep, pursed, lip, breathe, breath, five times, and now come back in. What's interesting with all of this, so much easier said than done. So when you're in that state of of chaos, it's really easy just to stay in it, to just, to, to be reactive. The practice is saying to yourself, I'm in this state of chaos. It is a state, it is fleeting. I'm gonna take a step back. And whether it's that somatic practice or just a couple of the pursed lips, long exhales, and then move back, we're talking 10 seconds. But it makes a world of difference. And the more you do it, the easier it becomes.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's so good. Everybody, I'm just so much calmer now. (laughs) (laughs) I, i feel like you've given us like 10 different tools i think this is amazing and i'm so appreciative of everything you've shared thank you so much megan um i think as moms divorced or otherwise the more tools we have right the easier it is to reach into our toolbox and just grab something right, different situations call for different things, the The better off we are and the more we're going to like enjoy our lives, which, you know, that's, that's the goal. That's the goal.
1: And what I, you know, generally invite people to do is I think it's incredibly important to have tools in your toolbox that you can use when triggered in the moment,
0: Mm-hmm but
1: that alone is not what you want. You want those tools, but you also want those practices that you're putting in your daily routine. And I talk to myself about this to be radically vigilant, radically vigilant, like your life depends on it to put in these practices in your day. And it might be just 20 minutes. For me, it's breathwork in front of red lights. For other people, it's yoga. For other people, it's journaling. It can be art. It can be whatever speaks to your soul. Mm-hmm. But when you show up for yourself on a daily basis in a way that helps balance your nervous system, you become more resilient. hmm And so that you can switch back and forth from that sympathetic, parasympathetic state and deal with whatever, of course, like the dog in the background that I'm dealing (laughs) with right now. Um, But you can address whatever life throws at you, because no matter what, life is going to throw stuff at you. And yes, you want tools for in those moments, but you also want tools in a way so that those moments are not as deep, dark, and disturbing.
0: Yeah.
1: Or as frequent
0: as, and as frequent. just don't come up as much. Yeah. That's right.
1: Because they just, you, you, you move through your world differently. Yeah. When you have practices that are really nurturing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Oh yes. Totally. And I love too, because this is what I coach all my clients on is being able to have thought work, be this practice right so it's not that you're just using the tools of thought work when you're in a crisis situation but you're practicing and you're using them all the time so that it's just it's just kind of becomes the new air that you're breathing right (laughs) that's right that's I didn't even see the pun coming I didn't (laughs) even see it coming Um, but that's so good (laughs) yeah so using thought work using breath work just in our in our whole lives to to make life a little bit easier a little bit sweeter I love it and
1: and, and ultimately we we become more present we become more present to to all the joy that can happen in our life we become more present to our children we 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 start living life on purpose yeah
0: yeah so good oh Okay, I'm stopping us because we're way over what I thought we would talk. But I love it so much. You all can hear how into all of this stuff I am, I am sure. Um Megan, I know you mentioned before we got on the call that you do have a 3-month program coming up. Will you tell our audience a little bit about that?
1: Thank you very much for giving me the opportunity. So I have a three month program, it's starting at the end of January, um, where we're going to be meeting once a week virtually for about 60 to 90 seconds to go through these practices, to go through breathing practices, somatic practices, some neuro practices, to help create a more balanced nervous system. So, so many of us, as I said, are, are walking through our world in a state of chronic stress and really in this sympathetic state. And we can't heal when we're in sympathetics. What I mean is we cannot heal physically wounds and we can't heal emotional wounds. And so the first step to, in a sense, living the life we want is is creating a balanced, healthy, resilient nervous system. And so I have used these tools and techniques for clients on one-on-ones and with tremendous success um, thankfully, (laughs) both for me and, and for them. Uh, and this is my first time offering this virtually because I want to be able to reach more people, um, and really teach them things that they can use. As I said, those practices, for your life and those tools that you can take out of your pocket and use at any point in time. So that's something that's going to be coming up. All the sessions will be recorded. If you miss one, they're going to be available and I'm going to hold people's hands as they walk through this process. So it's not just, you don't just get this, you know, one hour, one and a half hour time when you have questions. I'm here. My whole goal is to help move people into a different space
0: where they can breathe. Yeah. Awesome. So good. Thank you so much. Um, Actually, I should ask, where is the best place for folks to follow you to learn more about you?
1: So my company is Boundless Breath NJ. So they can find me there. Uh, they can also find me on, if they're on Facebook. Um, and I'm starting to get more into LinkedIn as well. Just my name itself, Megan Callis. And Callis is just like the things you get on your hands and your feet. C-A-L-L-U-S. Easy to remember.
0: Awesome. And I'll link to all, all your places in our show notes and we'll put a link in for the um, virtual program as well. And thank you just so much, Megan, for sharing so much of your wisdom and sharing your time and, and your story with us.
1: Thank you for having me. And thank you so much for, for doing this podcast and being there for all, for all the women who are going through this process. You're the light they need. I wish again, you were there when I was, I was going through it.
0: Thank you. Thank you. All right, y'all, we will talk to you next week. Hi friends, it's me again. I wanted to tell you a little bit more about the workshop that I'm offering on January 23rd at noon Pacific time. It's called Fearless Co-Parenting and it's really about helping moms who want to eliminate for good all the fear that they have connected to their co-parenting relationship. I'm going to teach you some powerful tools, and I want you to leave with new strategies on how to release your stress and your fear, your anxiety, your worry, your panic, any of that stuff that's connected to your co-parenting relationship. I'm going to help you get really clear on what you want the relationship to look like. I'm going to help you stop feeling trapped or like a victim in the relationship. We're going to talk about how we can eliminate anxiety and worry when they pop up we will also talk about stopping being surprised by what our co-parent does and we'll cultivate so much more confidence and resourcefulness and calm around this co-parenting relationship i know for me this was the biggest work that i did post-divorce It made such a huge difference in my life, in how I interacted with my kids, in all parts of my life when I was able to eliminate the fear in my co-parenting relationship. And I want to offer that to you as well. So click the link in the show notes or you can go to my website, meggluckman.com and register for this class, Fearless Co-Parenting, on January 23rd. I hope to see you there. Bye now.